you had something to do with Jesus as well. Everyone here knows a paralytic like this paralyzed man. Everyone here knows someone who is in need of Jesus. Everyone here has a relative, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, or a neighbor, someone who is needing some healing. We all, we all know someone who is facing a Christless eternity. I have neighbors, as far as I know, are outside of Jesus. And what's the best thing I can do for them? Same as these four guys. Get them to Jesus somehow, some way. One of my first years in ministry, and I've shared this before, but I, I went to a workshop at the North American Christian Convention it was led by Mr. Sunday School of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I was literally in tears as I was convicted about those who are outside of Christ, and I wrote my Bible, a refrain that he kept saying, Dear God, never let me get used to seeing men and women, boys and girls, go to hell. And that has left a lasting impression on my life. And I'm going to adjust it for this morning, because following Jesus is more than just avoiding hell. So I'm going to adjust it to this. Dear God, let me never forget that people need Jesus more than anything else. People need Jesus more than anything else. And the best thing I can do for someone is influence them towards Christ. For the most part, American Christians have gotten used to seeing men and women, boys and girls go to hell. Here's the statistics. It takes one minister and 100 church members a full year to win 1.66 persons to Jesus Christ. One minister and 100 church members, one full year to win less than two. Our average is a little better than that here, but we could do a lot better. America is one of the Places, few places in the world where Christianity is actually retreating. Now, you've heard of Jehovah Witnesses, and maybe you've had them come and knock on your door, and you run and hide or, or something like that. And I would never want to be someone who knocks on doors and really does more harm than good for the sake of Christ. But here's something worse than being Jehovah Witness, being Jehovah's by, bystanders and not witnessing at all. Oh, God, let me never forget that people need Jesus more than anything else. I want to look at these four guys and see if we can recapture their desire to bring a friend to Jesus. And there's a key word in verse 5, and it's the first time, surprisingly, that this word is mentioned in Mark's gospel. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. And faith is not mentioned until we get to this account. And I think we have misunderstood faith. Most people in the world misunderstand. They think faith is just believing. Yeah, yeah, I believe. And if that's your definition of faith, anybody can believe. I mean, it's easy. When Paul sent Timothy to check up on the Thessalonian church, you might think he'd be asking, well, how was church attendance? How's the growth? And, you know, how are the offerings? What's the programming like? No. First Thessalonians 3 says, we sent Timothy to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith. And in verse 5, I sent, out, sent him to find out about your faith. And in verse 6, Timothy has brought good news about your faith. Verse 7, we were encouraged because of your faith. Down in verse 10, he says, we're hoping to visit you and supply what is lacking in your faith. Nothing about attendance, nothing about giving or programming, everything about faith. What is the faith quotient of the church? We don't ask that, do we? What is the faith quotient? And I'm going to suggest today that we need to restore biblical faith in order to bring people to Jesus and see healing. The faith of these four led to the healing of their friend. And one reason for that is the people of faith believe in the power of Jesus to heal. They believe Jesus can and will make a difference in people's lives. Jesus is a miracle worker. These men know that if they just get their friend to Christ somehow, some way, he will touch, them, touch him, and they believe that God can and will heal. Compare that with a church bulletin announcement. said, due to the preacher's illness, Wednesday's healing services will be discontinued until further notice. Really? We don't believe in healing today. I was sitting in a ball game in St. Louis. This was years ago out in the bleachers. And the bleachers have their own culture. 
If you've been there, you're surrounded by some of our finest citizens. <laughs> Cussing and swearing and drinking and lewd behavior, making offensive remarks. It was so funny. <laughs> it was just, and I, I sit in there thinking, can these people be changed? Do I really believe Jesus could make a difference in, in their lives? These four guys bring a cripple to Jesus. They had faith that Jesus could make a difference. Do you believe that? Another thing about people of faith, they do the unconventional. They do anything they can to bring people to Christ. These four can't fight through the crowd, so they look for another way. They can't get in the door. Well, let's try the roof. Let's go through the roof. Have you ever wondered how the homeowner felt about this? Um, You tear off my roof, I'm probably not going to be real happy with you. But they'll do anything to bring someone to Christ. There's a church in Cincinnati that printed up 100,000 matchbooks with the church's name and number on it and gave to businesses that sold cigarettes. And they said, please give these to the smokers when they buy cigarettes. And their goal was to reach smokers for Jesus. And hundreds showed up at that church that were smokers over the next few weeks and few months. Unconventional? Yeah. Kind of like tearing off a roof. We had an outreach effort in Rockford, kind of like our Father's Day thing next weekend. And one lady took a whole bunch of flyers and started putting them on the windows at cars at Walmart. She was told to stop. Uh, there's a church in Lawrence, Kansas, wanted to reach out, so they offered gasoline at a local service station at a 40-cent discount. And so for two hours on a Saturday, they paid the difference so people could have cheaper gas, and volunteers washed windows and served free snacks and gave out the church's contact information. Because people with faith know Jesus makes a difference. They will do anything they can to introduce others to him. This church, at one time, had a youth center up on the square. Why? I wasn't here, but I'm guessing it was to reach youth for Jesus. Several years ago, someone started to decide some crazy program called Big Wednesday. Why? I'm guessing to reach kids for Jesus. Later this month, we're going to have Center Shot and Archery Ministry. Why? To reach people for Jesus. Sits, CIY, Fifth Quarters, Father's Day Outdoor Service next, uh, next week to attract men. People with faith think of new ways and different ways to get people to Jesus. We may not be able to get through the crowd. Let's go through the roof. There's a church in Philadelphia, and this was several years ago, located in the ghettos of Philadelphia. And after much debate and struggle, the church members decided the best way they could respond to the needs of their neighborhood was to mortgage their building and start some programs for the inner city. The church went into debt for 150000 which back then was a lot of money. And they started daycare centers, reading clinics, thrift shops, job placement programs, and programs for the elderly. They went into debt to bring good news to the people. That's unconventional. But what's even more amazing was the response of the media. Newspapers carried full-page stories, and television stations covered the activities of the church with spots on the evening news, and two national magazines ran articles on them. See, when a church stops talking about being the servant of God and actually becomes the servant of God and starts doing, that's news. Nobody is surprised when a church takes out a mortgage to put up a new building or improve facilities. People expect the church to do things for themselves. What amazes the world is when the church is willing to sacrifice for the welfare of others. How far will we go to bring people to Jesus? Oh God, let me never forget that people need Jesus more than anything else. Third thing about people of faith, they're persistent. If we can't do it one way, we'll try another way. We're not giving up. Can't get in the door, we'll go through the roof. These guys are stubborn. They persisted in getting their friend to Jesus. Faith means tenacity. I'm always impressed with single parents. Um, I see a mom or dad drag three kids in here on Sunday morning. I think, man, what did it take for them to get here? And I'm just impressed with that faith. 
Uh, Joe White, author of Faith Training, Raising Kids Who Love the Lord, observes children from single-parent homes. Here's what his observation is. The parents who have the greatest impact on their children are those with the character quality of relentlessness. They don't give up. Like Winston Churchill said years ago, never, ever, ever, ever give up. Studies have been done on people who have been brought to Jesus. One invitation, one visit to church, or one conversation seldom does it. It takes persistence. See, evangelism is a process. It's not an event. And anytime you invite someone to church, they might say no. And you just tell yourself when they say no, they're actually saying not yet. Okay? You just keep persisting. Faith says that God is working on this person. Faith says, I know the Holy Spirit is convicting. That's his, his role. I, I know that as I pray, God will do things and God will act. Faith does not give up which means people of faith are sometimes odd. They do weird things. I mean, can you imagine what the crowds were thinking when this roof started coming off, the gall and the nerve? These guys are crazy. One man wanted to do something for Jesus and for others, and so he decided he was going to clean toilets at truck stops. So he came to one truck stop, and the manager was a Hindu. And the manager said, we have 20 toilets. Christian said, well, I'll do two. The manager said, no, we have 20. You either do 20 or none. Christian said, I'll do four. No, 20 or nothing. Christian finally said, okay, I'll do them all. The manager said, well, we actually only have two. I just want to see what kind of Christian you are. Later, the two men ate lunch together, had a chance to witness. Footnote, by the way, in Hindu culture, only the untouchables clean toilets, the lowest of the caste system. Cleaning toilets for Jesus, that's a little odd, isn't it? I like odd people. Some of you are odd, really. Uh, odd people are interesting, they're, they're even exciting. You know, playing it safe, make, safe makes you not odd. It makes you actually kind of boring. Just playing it safe doesn't excite anyone. It doesn't get the adrenaline going. doesn't accomplish much. That's why Christians and churches can be so boring. We're not odd enough. People look at churches that really serve and say, man, that's a weird church doing weird things. And we already have some oddness around here. And I would just contend we need more. I'm optimistic that we have the potential to be a really, really odd church. More I get to know some of you, I think we can do this. Okay? <laughs> People with faith are extreme. They live on the edge. They do strange things, you know, like adopting a child from overseas and foster care. And, and they'll do some of the things that ah, the others don't want to do, like teaching Sunday school and wiping runny noses and cleaning diapers, which means, unfortunately, people of faith are the minority. They're just not the norm. As far as I know, these are the only four guys in history that opened a roof to get to Jesus. People who really care about others are in the minority, even in the church. In this miracle story, there's more characters involved. There's these four guys, there's Jesus, and there's the paralytic. But you notice the other people? In contrast to the faith of the four is the non-faith of, guess who? The religious, the religious people. That ought to get our attention. The religious people were the people of non-faith. That looks like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Religious, non-faith. And all through chapter 2 and into chapter 3, it's just marked by Jesus' conflict with the teachers of the law. In other words, the people who knew the Bible, the people of the book, they want to stay true to the word, and they keep people from Jesus. You know anyone like that? They know the Bible, but no one wants to be like them. They just turn everyone off around them. These kind of stories in the Bible really upset me because I put myself, okay, where am I in this story? I'm one of the religious people. That's me. 
And rather than bringing people to Jesus, they're characterized by rigidity, traditionalism, jealousy, power, which characterizes, by the way, a lot of churches today. 85% of churches today are essentially not bringing people to Jesus, just wrapped up in something else. So on one side, we have the four with faith who will do anything they can to bring someone to Jesus. And the other side is rigidity, traditionalism, and jealousy and power hindering people from Jesus. And who sees the miracle? The odd guys. These Pharisees remind me of an incident in Paris, France. This was years ago. There was widespread reported healings in Paris at the tomb of Francois of Paris. And the sensation rocked Paris so much that officials closed off that part of the cemetery where people were coming, where Francois was, was buried. And it said, by order of the king, God is forbidden to perform miracles in this place. <laughs> Amazing. These four men, they don't care about traditions. They don't care about power. All they care about is their sick friend. He needs a miracle. An 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service, and for the first time, she'd heard the gospel message. The following Tuesday, the members of the church received a letter from her. It said, Dear church members, last Sunday I attended your church and I heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God, and because of the rebellion and disobedience, they face eternal separation from God. But then he also said that God loved us and sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us from our sins, and that all those who believe in him would live eternally without God. Would live with God eternally, I mean. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know they did not believe in Jesus, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, my parents are damned. You compel me to believe that either you yourself don't believe this message or that you don't care. You see, we live three blocks from your church and no one ever told us. Either you don't believe it or you don't care. Oh, God. Let me never forget that people need Jesus more than anything else. I had to do some soul searching this week. I pondered this issue of faith and I thought, I've become a coward. I used to be more of a risk taker. My first church, Nebraska, was in Nebraska, seven people. Everyone was over the age of 60, somewhere in their 70s and 80s. I was 20. And that church was desperate, desperate to grow. It was grow or die. And we would do anything to reach out. And I remember calling door to door. Terrible experience. I hated it. Produced no results. That didn't work. So we went downtown and got a list of newcomers to town that would have to hook up their water at the utility office. And so we called on people cold turkey, and that did work. By the way, that's still a good strategy today to help people feel welcome to town. They've done some studies. If a church does it well, 80% will come to church. 80%. Do we have anyone who would welcome new people to the community and make a difference? And in Nebraska, we had this old school teacher who invited a whole family of mentally challenged people to church. I mean, it was a family of eight or nine, and most churches didn't want them. Only odd churches want people like that. We were desperate. We did some stupid stuff. We tried some dumb ideas. We did a skit where we threw a football in the worship center. Some of those older people, well, that was a little odd. But God worked. And we didn't know what we were doing. We were naive and desperate. We got to do something. We just got to have faith that God will bless and do something. And the church grew. Got to be 20 people. Man, that was exciting. Got to be 30 and then 40. Today, that church is bigger than we are. Seven people 40 years ago that were desperate to bring people to Jesus. These four guys are desperate. 
They don't know what else to do. They, they didn't study any evangelistic strategies on how to bring people to Jesus. They didn't go to any classes. They didn't have any Bible college training, no roof-removing training. They just did what they could, and Jesus does a miracle. In fact, Jesus does two amazing things. He heals him, but before he does that, what does he do? He forgives him, which is the greatest miracle. This paralytic is not seeking forgiveness of sins. He wanted physical healing, but Jesus knew his greatest need was spiritual. And that's really kind of the key to reaching people a lot of time. You've got to reach, meet some physical needs before you can talk to them spiritually. If we had someone come uh, forward, like we did a couple of weeks ago, and give their life to Christ and be baptized, we had you know, some people be baptized, we clap and we rejoice, and that's great, and then we go home. But if we had someone come forward in a wheelchair, and they asked for healing, and we prayed and that person was healed and started walking and jumping and leaping and praising God, wow, we would gasp, our eyes would get big, and we would tell everyone, do you know what happened at church today? Wow. Well, what's the greater healing? Or more important, the physical or the spiritual? Jesus will heal physically, but for the most part, that's going to come later. Our primary need is spiritual wholeness, a reconnection with our Father. So people of faith, number six, want people to come to Jesus for complete healing, healing in every way, not just physical, not just spiritual, both. Now in our prayer times, you know how this goes, in your Sunday school class, typical prayer request, will you pray for Aunt Mabel's knee, we are praying for Uncle Joe's bursitis, pray for my mother's diabetes, that's all legit, we should pray for physical healing, Christians should be very concerned about those because Jesus was concerned about those. But are we neglecting something? Prayer time at most churches pretty much give the message that it's better to be healthy and lost than sick and saved. You know, as long as you're healthy physically, that's okay. You may be going to hell, but we want you to be healthy. Really, that's the message we send. We're more concerned about your knee than your soul. This paralytic experienced what J.R.R. Tolkien, I love this word, called a eucatastrophe. That was his word for a spectacularly good thing happening to spectacularly bad people. You catastrophe, something wonderful that we don't deserve. And Paul exuberantly exclaims this when he says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You catastrophe. There was a farmer who experienced several bad years and went to see the manager of the bank. And he said, I got some good news and got some bad news for you. What do, you, what do you want to hear first? The banker said, Well, why don't you give me the bad news first and get it over with? The farmer said, Okay. With the bad drought and everything going on, I won't be able to pay anything on my mortgage this year, either on the principal or the interest. The banker said, that is bad news. And the farmer said, well, it gets worse. I also won't be able to pay anything on the loan for all that machinery I bought on the principal or the interest. Wow, that is bad. Well, it's actually worse than that. You remember, I also borrowed to buy seed and fertilizer and the other supplies. Well, I can't pay anything on that either, the principal or interest. This is not a true story, by the way. All farmers I know are rich. Okay. (laughs) We'll hear about that one. The banker says, well, that's awful. And that's all I want to hear. That's enough bad news. Tell me what the good news is. The good news is, replied the farmer with a smile, is that I intend to keep on doing business with you. (laughs) Now, there's actually some good theology in that story. The good news of the gospel is that in spite of our total bankruptcy, despite our mismanagement of our lives, despite the lapses in our faith and my pettiness, and in spite of my smallness, my lack of faith, my failure upon failure, in spite of all that, God keeps doing business with us. And pays the debt. What's the greatest thing that's happened to you? What's the eucatastrophe of your life? And what's the greatest thing you can do for others? For these four, it was 
bringing their friend to Jesus. Let's do the same. Let's pray. Oh God, let us never forget that people need Jesus more than anything else. Dear God, help us to bring people to you so they can experience catastrophe, spectacular blessing. We pray especially today for VBS that kids will experience catastrophe. We pray for Father's Day next Sunday that men and dads and families will be exposed to the good news. We pray for Center Shot. We pray for our youth program, CIY. But Lord, more than that, I pray for me. And I pray for us. Because we've forgotten that people need Jesus more than anything else. It is in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Today as we prepare to gather around the table, um, 